The Guardian. The Guardian has partnered with audible.co.uk to offer listeners a free audiobook if you sign up for a two-week trial of their service. Audible has 40,000 titles available to download. For all the details, follow the links at guardian.co.uk slash audible. The BBC might be on strike, but we're not. I'm John Plunkett, sitting in for Matt Wells, and coming up on this week's Media Talk, as News Corporation begins proceedings to take over B Sky B, we analyse the first set of numbers from another part of the business, the Times website. Also in the podcast... It feels, honestly, like getting, getting inside feels like like a James Bond <laughs> movie from the 60s where, where, and trying to penetrate the Kremlin. We hear from Ira Glass, star of NPR's This American Life, about trying to get his show onto the BBC. And answer me this, is there money to be made in podcasting? We spend two days a week really working on it. It's still kind of a sort of professional hobby rather than a job. Ollie Mann and Helen Zaltzman tell us about four years of DIY podding. This is Media Talk from The Guardian. Matt's in New York this week, so it's me in the presenter's chair. And it's a slightly different show as well. Stand by for interviews with some of the biggest names from American radio and British podcasting. But we'll start with the story that's been dominating the media headlines. This week, News Corporation ended weeks of speculation and formally notified the European Commission of its intention to launch a full takeover bid for B Sky B. The £12 billion deal is both politically and commercially contentious, and Business Secretary Vince Cables already referred it to media regulator Ofcom. Elsewhere in the Murdoch Empire, this week also saw the release of the first set of figures for online subscribers to the Times and Sunday Times paywall. So, before we headed off to the Big Apple, your erstwhile host, Matt Wells, spoke to Dan Saber, the Guardian's new head of media and technology, and a former media editor at the Times. They kicked off by discussing those subscription numbers and whether News International's headline figure of 105,000 was good, bad or indifferent. It's a good question. It would help a lot if the 105,000 figure was the real figure we want to play with. problem with the 105,000 figure is that's the amount of people who at any point have sort of bought a subscription to the Times online. That can be people who just bought, paid a pound to buy for a day's access or people who've paid, say, £10 for a monthly access on the iPad. The real figure to focus on is, well, we don't have the exact number, but it's about 50,000. That's the number of people who've, uh, still in an ongoing relationship, shall we say. That those are the people who've got a monthly subscription of some kind. Most of whom are paying somewhere between 8 and £10 a month. Uh, a small number of whom, about 5,000, are still on an introductory offer of about a pound uh, for, the, for the month. When you add it all up, uh, if you take the size of this business as it is today and you try and turn it into some sort of annual revenue figure, it would be five, five and a half million pounds uh, at the sort of gross level at the top this line This level. is your sort of, uh, well, I was going to say rather cheekily back of the envelope calculation, well, but, uh, but you've probably done a bit more, yeah, it probably takes more than, maybe it's a big envelope. Yeah, I think we'll go for a big envelope. But, but listen, it's certainly just a sort of, you know, straightforward, you know, bit of multiplication, no more. Uh, is that... Is, is that good? I mean, we'd all like five and a half million pounds, but the truth is... Well, I suppose it, 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 the, the question is, what were, they, what were they or would they have been making had, had they not started a subscription service? We don't know what the Times Online uh, properties were doing in terms of advertising revenue, for sure, but 30 million pounds is a reasonable proxy. It's what uh, other sort of similarly sized newspaper websites do. Uh, they will have clearly lost a lot of advertising revenue because it's a volume business, although I think not quite as, nothing like as much as one might think, you know, I don't think it's fallen 90, I don't think it's plunged 90%, but you would think thus far they were down on the deal. Um, My my hunch is that ad revenue will have halved, um, but I just, that's totally unscientific. Mm. And so, you know, five and a half million gained on the circulation side. So far, 
Not victory. However... But not a disaster. But it's not a disaster. No, not a disaster. Look, this is a slow... Slow and steady, I think, is the way to think about this. Uh, The analogy, perhaps, is with Sky Television. It's certainly a comforting one. If you're on the new side, which is, look, Sky was a bit of a joke in the 90s, not taken mildly seriously in the first half of the noughties and now is suddenly the biggest thing there is and certainly it's certainly the case that that, that rival organizations have not dismi- d- dismissed this th- this as you know out, out of the water as a potential business model keeping a weather eye on it aren't they i think everyone's everyone weather eye is just the right you know phrase i think everyone's looking at this very closely and i think you'll certainly see uh, other newspapers certainly looking for charge for some specialist content and i think for sort of uh, other bits and pieces, the obvious. Well, certainly, being, you know, iPad apps, iPhone apps, Kindle apps. There's definitely it, we're go we're we're quite clear about that. Everyone's going to be char- charging for those. And and the question is, can you? I suppose, Dan, um, g- can you balance the ad revenue from the free desktop site with the with the subscription stuff that you're getting in on the side? I, look, I think you're absolutely right about. There's clearly a consumer willingness to buy the iPad app. That's done quite well for the times. Uh, uh, similarly, I think there's some there's some demand for the, the, the iPad app. app numbers i thought were all right the, the the ipad numbers are quite hard to strip out and the reason for that is if you now buy an online sub you get the ipad thrown in as well so you know, effectively there's sort of 40 you know if there effectively you're now getting it all bundled in we think there's about forty thousand ipad customers in total but some are on special offers and so okay. forth not all these people are paying but it's a good start now you mentioned sky and there's been more news this week relating to news corporation and b sky b they've put in their formal notification haven't they to the to the european commission that, that, that they want to fully take over B Sky B. Are these two stories related? Because you mentioned bundling. Would News Corporation, if they fully own, News International, if they fully own B Sky B, be able to start doing all, the, all that bundling that, uh, you know, across the business? That is the real fear that other newspaper groups have, that you'll be able to somehow um, get sort of your Times Online subscription bundled in with your Sky television pack. Uh, I spoke to James Murdoch yesterday just about the progress they'd made in terms of uh, uh, the Times Online figures we've just been talking about. And, uh, you know, James was talking about clever forms of bundling but he meant in a different way he was thinking about how we could have maybe more financial content perhaps stuff from the wall street journal in a bundle aimed at uh, business users however the temp you know once you have a fully into- integrated organization the temptation if that's the right word indeed the logic of it is strong you would exp- you'd be amazed if they weren't looking at something like this even if he's laughing it off as he did to me on the phone uh, the other day so what's what's next with uh, with the bid then formal no- notification into europe does this mean that, that Vince Cable now has to decide what, um, what action he may or may not take. He's been, they've been saying that he's, got ten, that he's going to give himself 10 working days to make up his mind whether to issue the, the all-important intervention notice. That would allow Ofcom to look at the transaction and decide whether it was, whether it was in the public interest or not. This is a rather sort of woolly overarching notion which allows competitors to say a combined News Corp sky would be too big and that's bad rather than the more narrow standard competition arguments of sort of saying, well, uh, uh, you know, News Corp it would be too big in a, in a specific, carefully defined market, the newspaper market or the paid television market or what have you. On competition grounds, a transaction is uh, unlikely to fail uh, simply because, you know, the company's not getting bigger in any specific subset of media. It's that cross-media power that's worrying people. This is going to be a sort of, I think, a finally judged and, 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 and probably, I think, heavily argued decision behind the scenes. But the smart thing, I think, for Vince to do is, look, you push it over to Ofcom, these are, you know, third-party pointy-headed regulators. They can make a sort of academic judgment, and that depoliticizes it for him. 
Um, in the last couple of weeks, Dan, we've had the uh, the government coming down quite hard on, on on the BBC with a tough license fee settlement. Um, is it possible then that, that that they might feel that they want to be sort of even handed and be a bit tough on Sky as well? Or oh, maybe the reverse. I think the, what the, the what with now the license fee taken off the table. Mm. Uh, the, the BBC or others can't sort of raise the spectre of saying, well, you know, the government's sort of, you know, if the government waves this takeover through, Lord knows what will happen to the BBC thereafter. We now because know... Because the BBC's future is now secure. Exactly. We now know where the BBC is financially, um, so maybe we can do sky the favour and kind of take it on the chin I, I think you can argue it both ways in short and I suspect people will be doing just that. This is a... You know, a sharp and I think uncomfortable decision that David Cameron, you know, and, and the Conservatives will have to make, although obviously it'll be Vince Cable who fronts it. Dan Sabber there. You can read more from him and the rest of the Media Guardian team about Murdoch, News Corp and News International at mediaguardian.co.uk. Hey, this is Jay-Z and you're listening to the Today programme with Evan Davis and Sarah Montague. Oops, sorry, wrong programme there. I'm John Plunkett and you're listening to Media Talk. And now over to the US of A, where the Third Coast International Audio Festival has just taken place. It's a showcase of the very best feature-making, soundscaping and storytelling on radio and the web. And one of the main draws for this year's 25th anniversary festival was Ira Glass, the producer and presenter of NPR's This American Life. Our reporter Francesca Panetta caught up with him. Easy Chicago, it's This American Life, distributed by Public Radio International. I'm Ira Glass. Taguan, love is a battlefield. In this act, a family faces a kind of profound question. Can you teach love, even to a child who has all sorts of reasons not to learn love? Well, I'm here now with Ira Glass, who's practically a national treasure here in the States through his show, This American Life, which he created 15 years ago. He presents it every week and it attracts nearly 2 million listeners and it's become a cult hit around the world in its podcast form. Ira, can you set up your show for me? Tell me what it's about. Well, it's sort of a hard show to describe uh, quickly. It's documentary shows for people who hate documentaries. Uh, so, so we never actually use the word documentary on the air, and, and we have stories that are generally a little funnier and more emotional than I think a traditional um, kinds of broadcast news reporting is. Like we want the stories to be actual stories with characters and scenes, and they pull you in, and you get involved, and you want to know what happened. His first crush was Batgirl. Even now, he says... If he just sees the colors of Batgirl's costume, just the colors, no image at all, just the colors, his heart still skips a beat. He invented his own superhero called the Hurricane, who could shoot blasts of wind from his hands and was drawn with huge manly muscles. He made a Hurricane costume to wear, red t-shirt with a black circle with an H on it, a mask that his mom made for him, a yellow cape. There were a few times where I actually came to school with bits of a superhero costume secreted under my school uniform. I guess I don't exactly know why. I guess I thought it was like it was, it was going to give me some sense of power or something. But of course, then I have gym class, you know, so you have to change your clothes. So. When we started most of the show, we was applying the tools of journalism to just everyday life, to very personal stories. And, uh, and then over the years, actually, we've, we've gone on a much more kind of newsy focus where we'll actually take that kind of storytelling and do stories about uh, Iraq and uh, the presidential election or the midterm elections here. There's a lot of African Americans that are very disheartened with the Democratic Party. And they see the abandonment of Barack as the abandonment of black people. That's Greg Shropshire of Rome, Georgia, 
a past president of the local chapter of a service organization called the 100 Black Men of America. He feels that the Democratic Party as a whole has not stood by Barack Obama. So you don't see any conflict between traditional storytelling and straight journalism news? I mean, I don't see a conflict. I mean, I feel like there's, there's, you know, there's always been a tradition of, of feature reporting. Um, and, and the thing we're doing, I feel like, plays out a lot like a good feature magazine piece, like in print, you know, like where just the characters are very, very strong. And, and, uh, and you have the time and the space to, to actually let the story live in a way where, where one can feel something about it. Our show today in two acts, Act 1, The Conservatives, Act 2, The Liberals. I think there's an aesthetics to most broadcast journalism that's really antique and that we exist partly in opposition to. You know, the, the, there's just a, there's a tone to the show that, that feels, I think, different than a lot of uh, journalism. It's also quite a kind of production-heavy show as well. I mean, you talk about it being traditional storytelling, but um, there is a big production effort that goes behind it. Yes, for for a radio show like it's 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 yeah we, we'll spend we'll spend it takes us three or four months to get together one episode of the show. I mean we're a weekly show and we do very ambitious things. You know, like I'm I'm actually when we get done this interview, I've got to go back up to the room where I am because I'm rewriting a story that I've been working on since since August, where you know about a judge in Georgia who's up for re-election, where this entire town is is arguing over her practices. You, you know, we just sent two reporters to Iraq for a month as U.S. troops were pulling back. To you know, I just these are just some of these things are just massive, massive projects. And uh, it's a staff of eight producers. And I mean, some of the stories we do, some some of the best stories we do are just straight up. You know, an interview. I'll sit down with somebody for an hour, and we'll you know chop it down and score it with music like it's a movie. Um, like that's one thing we do a lot of. But I would say now probably three fourths of the stuff we do is this very uh, labor intensive, heavy reported kinds of stuff. And you're very much involved in the production process. This is not a, a pull in the presenter at the last moment, get them to read a script. You're absolutely in there right from the beginning, aren't you? Well, it's funny because I actually wasn't aware that, that people people actually did that. Um, I, 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 I'm very, very involved. Yes, no, I'm, I'm in the end, I'm one of the editors for everything in the show. Like I and the senior producer go through every single thing in the show many, many times. Um, and uh, no, in fact, I just heard about like one of the other public radio hosts here in the United States who has a weekly show, comes in for one day a week, and the staff does everything else. I didn't even realize that that model actually existed here in the States. So yeah, no, no, I'm more of like a 70 or 80 hour work week kind of person. I just wanted to ask you about the title, This American Life. What makes it American? We are Americans. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, truthfully, like naming the show is a real problem, and and we've tried, been trying to get on the BBC, and I feel like the the title has really proved quite an impediment in, in international distribution. We are we're actively like trying to get it on the BBC, which which actually feels like it feels honestly like getting getting inside the BBC feels like like a James Bond <laughs> movie from the 60s where, where, and, and trying to penetrate the Kremlin where somebody has to talk to somebody else. We've literally been told, no, 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 don't go in the front door. Like, don't go in and just ask to speak to the like, head programming because they'll, they'll, well, they'll never talk to you. But what you need is you need this person to introduce someone to this person and then, and then quietly, perhaps at a coffee, you know, could you be in London in, you know, in November? You know, it's, it's, all, it's all very, very odd. It really is very, very, very Baroque. Ira Glass speaking to Francesca Panetta there. And if that's your kind of thing, and why not, you can download a special Media Talk Extra podcast from the Third Coast Festival. You'll hear interviews with some of the biggest names in American radio and all sorts of chat about the future of creative audio. And I promise, not a single reference to DAB. 
It's on iTunes and guardian.co.uk slash mediatalk right now. Finally this week, you've probably seen Helen Zaltzman and Ollie Mann popping up on Sky News, or perhaps you heard them on Five Live, TalkSport, and even Steve Wright's show on Radio 2. Well, someone's got to listen to it. The pair have been making names for themselves with their weekly Answer Me This podcast, which they've been recording in Helen's living room since 2007. They've just released a book collecting together the best questions posed by their listeners, and when they popped into the Media Talk studios earlier, I had a question all of my own. How did it all begin? I was having a flat warming party. Ollie came up to me with a kind of suspicious look on his face saying, can I talk to you alone? And I thought, oh God, this must be something bad. And uh, so we went off and he said, do you want to do a podcast? And not really thinking of any objection or really knowing what a podcast was, having heard about two at the time. I said, yeah, sure, why not? Didn't realise that it would, you'd be sacrificing all social events for the next four years as a result of doing it. Happy to. Presumably you worked together on a comedic basis before this. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, we'd done sort of student radio. Yeah. We, we were both um, at the same college in Oxford, it's kind of sound posh now, um, and we wrote... Uh, We've lost half our list. Yes, exactly. Oh, no, no, I forget, I forget where we are. It's the Guardian. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we worked together. We were both uh, publications officer, which was one of the posts you could do mm-hmm. in our college. Yeah, I handed the torch to Ollie, and it meant that we were writing the guide for the new, the new recruits to our college. College. We wrote that together, so that was our first work. It's going on uh, for about a grand on eBay now. <laughs> there are only about 100 copies in existence. So yeah, so we, had, we knew that we could uh, enjoy being funny together. But um, it, it, I mean, I guess about six years had passed since then when I suggested the podcast, but yeah. it was always there in the back of my head. And uh, at what point did you, did you have full-time sort of day jobs then? Or has there been a point since then where you've given up the day job? Yeah, well, I worked in telly. Uh, I used to produce TV programmes. At the time, I was working on a show for ITV called Confessions. Oh, right. Did you I ever see that? It was on my Sky Plus Planner. Yeah, no, it's not. <laughs> it's not. No, right. It was. I think it's possibly the lowest-rated uh, primetime factual show wow. of the last ten years. Congratulations! Um, Better to be the lowest than second lowest. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, at yeah. least be the best at something. Right. Um, and I was working on that, and it was one of those shows when it's like, oh, I'm a chef and I wank in people's soup. Oh, I'm a hairdresser <laughs> and I snip off people's ears, uh, which is actually quite good fun to watch after a football match. But when you're working on it, it was just really depressing because I was calling up hairdressers and saying, "Do you ever snip off people's ears?" And and you know you have to use the most cynical kind of research tactics look in the yellow pages ask to speak to the most junior person there it's just horrible the magic the magic of tv exactly and right. i just thought actually this is horrible i don't want to do this anymore and at that exact point i went to alan's party and i was like this could be this could be my road out of here fantastic and you got uh, now the chances are people listening to this may well have uh, downloaded it because you've had about two million downloads is that right to date we're heading up i think it's going to be three million downloads by the end of this calendar year fingers crossed yeah yeah um yeah it's about uh, 50 odd thousand a week which is uh, remarkable and pleasing did you ever imagine back in that in that party as you you sipped on the on the cherry aid <laughs> that you'd go to this stage I think the truth is we probably thought that if it was successful, I mean, I don't know how you quantify success in podcasts, but, you know, if it was getting to the stage where we get increasing audience share all the time and stuff happened like we won this Sony Award, we probably thought we'd be doing a radio show by now. Uh, but as it turns out, uh, radio producers and executives don't really like podcasters to have their own shows. They find it uh, a little bit like... Um, I think a lot of them are still stuck in the idea that you have to do local radio first and then work your way up. Yeah. Um, but Five Live have been great. We did a couple of specials for Five Live and we're now regular panellists on that. But even there, you know, it just takes a long time before people recognise you as your own presenter. So we have the freedom to do what we want on our own show and it's kind of like we wouldn't want to give that up, really. Well, I'll tell you how they measure success. Partly, partly downloads, partly appearing on here, clearly. Partly yes. that Sony yeah. Award you mentioned. This is the best thing of an already oh, good year. You're, you're very <laughs> kind. But partly... Uh, money. Now, apart from Ricky Gervais, uh, it appears people struggle to make money out of podcasts. Uh, how about you guys? I, I 
Yeah, we're as Hesitate rich as Gervais. The, you're as rich as Gervais. <laughs> <laughs> and now is, is, there, is there money to be made? Conventional wisdom suggests not. There's a bit of money. We sell off our uh, first two years episodes at 79 pence each. And um, so we've got money trickling in through that and it covers our costs. And um, we get money through spin-off activities because it's still nice to give people a free show especially in these dark economic times. And uh, there are a lot of children listening who don't have access Definitely. to huge amounts of money. Um, but yeah. now we've, uh, we've done this book, so that's probably the, the biggest money-spinning product we've yeah. done thus far. I mean, it's a weird thing. I mean, obviously it's tempting uh, to think, well, you know, we've got this dedicated following if we did a Murdoch and put it up behind a paywall, what would happen? What would happen? Maybe, maybe we'd only have 2% of listeners, but if they were giving us a pound a week, then we'd actually make money out of the show. But it just doesn't feel right when you've built up a community from nothing because it's free and because they all contribute content as well by asking us questions, which we answer. So we've always tried to use other ways. We've done some sponsorship stuff and affiliate deals. And there certainly is money out there to be made. But between the three of us, because uh, Helen's fiance Martin is part of the podcast as well. um, And, you know, we spend two days a week really working on it. It's still kind of a sort of professional hobby rather than a job. An interesting tactic that you put up the the kind of older podcast is on a pay for basis. So people who are really into it actually delve back and say, yeah, Mm. I'll um, I'll go and investigate the kind of classics, you know, the old... The the, answer me this goal. Yeah, oh, right. Gold. Oh, goodness. <laughs> well, that kind of felt fair because, uh, you know, if you're really, really into the podcast, then you'd have got them when they were free. Um, whereas, yep. you know, if you find us now, there's, I think, how many episodes 80. of free content? 80 free content episodes. Uh, so if you've worked through, so that's more than 40 hours worth of stuff, uh, then I think it's fair to ask you to pay for stuff from 2008. Um, and what's interesting is it's only a tiny, tiny, tiny proportion of our listeners that will pay. Uh, but then when they make that step, when they say, OK, this is worth 79 pence per episode, they tend to buy all of them. So the tiny, tiny proportion who do pay do end up giving us about £60 each by the time they've bought all of the right. episodes. Yeah, right. that right. tiny proportion is bankrolling our lavish lifestyles. <laughs> uh, but what about if someone like Pepsi or Doritos came up and said, we want to sponsor you? you know, would, that, would that be a possibility? And how comfy would you feel with that? Or would you have to have one sort of Pepsi thing question every week? I think if it was influencing content, that would be really awkward. Um, but certainly if we were running sponsorship bumpers and we just had to say Pepsi, uh, then that's something we'd consider but we'd consider it for the right amount of money and for the right absolute direction (laughs) that they wouldn't influence our content i think that really is so important you know people like us because we're independent we broadcast from helen's sitting room we say what we like we swear we say the truth if there was any sense that um we were kind of stepping around that to satisfy the whims of a sponsor or a pr company i think that would be a mistake Ollie Mann and Helen Zaltzman. The Answer Me This question compendium is published by Faber, and it's your ideal bathroom companion this Christmas. More information on our blog. And on that salubrious note, it's time to say goodbye. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at JohnPlunkett149. Matt is back next week. Until then, thanks for listening. Don't forget to start your free 14-day trial of audible.co.uk and to download your free audiobook. Head to guardian.co.uk slash audible. The Guardian.